First on film and entertainment, folks, I've got to apologise. We've had some technical problems over the last few weeks, so we haven't been as consistent as we would like to have been. Nevertheless, hopefully all that has been solved. My name's Alex First. This is First on Film and Entertainment. Joining me, a, well, a whole cast this time. Fantastic. Let's start with Dave Griffiths. There's been a lot of, well, controversy in various football codes. We're talking about the round ball and Aussie rules. We've got the draft coming up. We've got the World Cup going on. We've got controversy over whether in terms of recognition of different sectors of the community, people's protests have been seen around the world. It's It's been a bit ugly, hasn't it, that round ball game in terms of how it's been, you know, we're trying to celebrate it, but we're also trying to be inclusive. Exactly. And, of course, we've had controversy here with our game as well. I mean, Alex, you come to me for sports tips for, for when you want to make a wager. Are you I do. Ask, are you going to ask umpires from now on? Well, absolutely. That's a very, very good question. Look, very sad that it's come to this. Any Look, any time betting's involved, clearly the, the thought that it can be compromised has to be there. Uh, the difficulty is there's a lot of money to be made and, uh, you know, is, is the league going to walk away from it? And I think there was a controversy during the week as well in cricket again in terms of wages and, you know, what should be the rules? I mean, how how do you make this clean so that it can't be corrupted? I'm not sure that you can. No, the the Brownlow medal is a difficult one because the umpires are the only people that know where the votes go to. So that's that's always going to be a difficult one. But look, I I don't know. They've countered that. They've said that each time the three votes are put in, there has to be a document signed to say that all is okay. I'm not sure that that's going to solve the problem, but that's that's what they're proposing. No, exactly. But I don't have any problem with footballers betting on games that they're not involved with. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult, as we've seen with cricket and we've seen it with American sports, it's always going to be that temptation. And it doesn't even have to be gambling. There's been people in American sports that have... Um, taken payments to lose games um, with no betting involved. So it's not a slippery nice. circle. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the World Cup has got me excited. Are, are you following or not? Uh, not really, no. Oh, okay. Now, let me introduce Peter Krause, a guy who loves sport more than anything else. Peter, what about you? Do you know the World Cup is on? Uh, actually, no, I'm, I'm in the middle of watching a film. So let me know when we get on to uh, thank film Thank you reviews. when we get on to it. Okay. Now, now uh, Jackie, you, you're kind of, you're interested in doing sport. This is Jackie Hamilton, uh, not so much watching it. D- does this have any interest, at least politically for you or not, the World Cup? Uh, when it's in a film, yes. Right. So you don't, you don't, honestly, you don't follow any sport as a spectator. Uh, I'd rather talk about film. Right. Okay. So you're not even giving and me an entertainment. Answer. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're not even giving because, me an answer because you know you know the answer, Alex. Well, no, I actually don't. I I, I hope that there was. Oh, what was the question? Sport. What was the question? Are I enjoy in- I enjoy personal fitness, but I can't be bothered sitting on a couch watching other people do their personal fitness and their. So sport. have you ever, as a kid, did you ever like most oh. kids get it? No, not hard. I'm asking a genuine <laughs> question. Uh, are you were, were you as a kid ever interested in watching sport rather than just participating? As a family, we were not a sporting family at all. Very good. What about you, Gregory King? What about me? It isn't fair. I just want my share. I want to talk film too. Um, sorry, <laughs> I, I, I never. I never played. There seems to be a protest, an uprising here. I never played sport as a kid. I wasn't allowed to. Oh. Was that was there a reason you weren't allowed to? Yeah, because I was born with a cleft palate and a hair lip, and um, so spent fourteen years of my thirty fourteen years of my life in the Royal Children's Hospital, plastic surgery, dental work, speech therapy, and everything. Um, and at the end of that, the doctor said, plastic surgeon told mum, don't let him play any sports like football because one would smack in the mouth and undo the whole thing. It'll cost a fortune to get it redone again. And as soon as mum said no, nah, that was it. Well, so sorry, your mother said no in terms of what? Playing sport like that, yeah. Well, well. So I, 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 actually, I did play kick to kick in the playground and everything, but I didn't play professional sports, no. No, no, not pro- but but I mean, you've, you've you've always had an interest in in footy and and I'm not sure what other sports you're interested in. Are, are there others? Not many, no. I don't no. like it. Okay. 
And that's yeah. a very valuable that's a very valuable lesson, Alex, because my parents spent between four and five thousand dollars on braces for me, and one year into my gridiron career, got a knock in the mouth and did undid all of the work that my parents had paid for. Oh my golly! Wow. <laughs> I mean, look, I tell you what. The, the so did you have it redone, Dave? Did you have it redone or did you just have to cop it? No, if you have, if you ever, like, are talking to me and you look at my mouth, I've actually got one tooth that's behind the other tooth because it um, pushed it right back. And, yeah, I've never, ever had it, never had it um, corrected or anything. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things that we noticed in with our kids is that, it was sort of almost common that everybody had to have braces or whatever you call them that straighten the teeth. That wasn't the case in our generation. So things have changed. I mean, I, I'm not sure where, where it's at now because uh, our kids have now both got married, but it, it's interesting how there's a huge emphasis on getting the, the teeth right, isn't there, in, in this generation, which is great. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot more attention paid to cosmetic surgery. Anyway, Talking we, of we, which, we saw a couple of films with real bite this week. Uh, you, you are really trying hard. You're, you're trying hard and you're trying my patience. It's great. It's really wonderful. Let's go back because we've got to sort of catch up. Over the last few weeks, I mentioned things have been a little bit tough technically and things haven't gone to air the way that I've wanted them to. I just wanted to touch on a big a blockbuster, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. There's been a lot of movies, and you can add your two penneth worth here, Jackie, a lot of female powerful movies that have come out of late and there's this whole trend which is a good thing i mean there's nothing nothing wrong with it but it's interesting how you go through a tide of movies and and we're going through that at the moment are we not oh absolutely yeah i noticed that myself yeah well okay so go ahead what was the one the the week before i'm struggling to remember that the warrior woman um woman king King. the woman king that I heard was so fabulous, but I went to see that and I was mightily disappointed by that. I didn't review it on the program because I hadn't seen it at the time, but on on um, having heard how fabulous it was, and I just thought it was the same old, same old, but a woman in the place. I didn't find it, you know, innovative at all, unfortunately. There, there was there was talk during the week that it's been a disappointing year for film. I'm not sure that I totally agree with that. I've, I've seen some movies that are pretty decent. Uh, PD, you, you and Dave see an enormous amount of film. Do you think it's been disappointing, 2022? I don't think it has at all. I mean, obviously some studios have had to catch up with uh, with films because of COVID, but nevertheless, I think there are enough good quality films out there, especially for the uh, uh, nominations coming up soon for the Oscars. Mm. And, and uh, Greg, what, what's your view on this? Um, in, in terms of the year, because, you know, like I, I know you and I have spoken in the past and we often, you know, you do your, your what do you call it, the glorious end of year special where you look at movies, et cetera, and you've done that for many, many years. And I, I don't think this has been a, you know, a horrible year or anything of that nature. No, it hadn't been, hadn't been a particularly standout year either. It was just a lot of films to see, um, some really good, some really disappointing and some average. But here we are. We're at the end of November, Dave, and quite frankly, by now we normally would have seen a lot of movies that will be Oscar-nominated. I can't say I've seen too many that are brilliant. Have you? No, I've seen some great films this year, but I don't think they're going to be films that will factor into the Oscars. But, yeah, we are a little bit late seeing the Oscar films this year, so we'll just probably have to see how it goes. Are we – I mean, this is a the, the transition, if you like, in the industry in terms of more Netflix and films like that that are going to be nominated – is that what, because I, I don't know about you guys, but it's very difficult to sort of keep up with everything, including all these streaming services. Is this is this the start of a, an even more pervasive trend where the nominations are going to come from the streaming services rather than the mainstream movie, movie theatres, Peter? I think it is. Uh, and, I mean, Netflix have got a, a, quite a few films that are likely to be nominated. So uh, I would say, yes, uh, streaming services are now the new cinema, so, so to speak. Mm, mm. Well, it may not satisfy them in the short. It's kind of like if you can't 
uh, when what's it, what is it? If you can't something join them, if, what's the expression? I've gone if blank. If you can't beat them, join them. Thank you. If you can't beat them, join them. It, it's sort of I, I'm thinking the same way. Going back to sport about the live tour. Eventually, it's going to get together. You know, at the moment, there's poles apart between the main tour and it, but eventually, surely, you're going to have to come together like World Series cricket. You know, go go back to those days. Let's go back to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I mean, at the heart of the story is that power struggle over this rare and precious metal vibranium. Previously, that was thought to be the domain of only Wakanda. And now another previously unknown nation called Talokan, T-A-L-O-K-A-N, emerges with this metal. And it's got a ruler called Namor, who has superhero powers and a troubled past, and he flexes his muscles. He wants Wakanda to bow to his considerable might. Wakanda refuses to count out to anyone. When things go awry, the queen, Ramonda, turns to the former king's ex for support. Also in her corner is the CIA agent Everett Ross, whose actions and interactions are being closely monitored. So there's quite a bit of complexity about Wakanda forever. Is it is it too complex, I suppose, is the question. The death of the king has resulted in many pain souls. It, now, who's a friend in this one? Who's a foe? The queen and Shuri love each other, no question, but but they don't always see eye to eye. With the best of intent, not everything works out the way it was intended. That can and does strain long-term associations. I, I think this one looks spectacular. The action scenes really impressed me. So too the strength of the characters, the performances of the actors who play them. I, I enjoyed Letitia Wright as Shuri. Lupita Nyong'o is measured and stoic as Nakia. There, there is also appropriate reverence paid to Chadwick Boseman, who tragically passed away after the runaway success of Black Panther Dave, yeah? Yeah, this is a, an interesting film because, of course, Ryan Coogler had to break that Marvel mould in making this film because, of course, Marvel planned their films five to ten years in advance and nobody foresaw the, the tragic passing of Chadwick Bosman. So Ryan Coogler was given the job of kind of making a standalone film that would explain the loss of the original Black Panther and bring the series back into the Marvel Universe. So it's an interesting film, and I think he had probably one of the toughest jobs to do as a director screenwriter that we've ever seen in the Marvel Universe. And I think he's put together a really, really good film. I've been critical of some of the Marvel films over the last couple of years and saying that they're not as good as what they used to be, but I really, really enjoyed this one, and I think he brought back that epic feeling to the Marvel Universe, but this film had heart, which is something that you can't normally say for Marvel films, so I think he's done a great job. Mm, I mean, look, I really admired his... I mean, the other writer is Joe Robert Cole, so good on him for writing it the way they have and and paying i mean obviously they were going to pay the respect that they were to the the king uh, but to charla and and they did and i mean i chadwick boseman what what an incredible man he was to s sustain the way that he could right through the filming of the first uh, first black panther movie look I've, i my only concern peter for all the positives it went on didn't it i mean it went on for 161 minutes and it, I mean, it needed tightening, surely. It is a longish film, but there is a lot of story. Uh, and a lot and of is narrative. there too much? That's that's my, that was what my question was earlier. Is there too much, Peter? Too much exposition? Um, I don't think so. I think I like the uh, the storyline and the exposition in the film. And what I particularly like liked was the story arc about the melancholy aspect of the departure of Chadwick Boseman and the nice little twist at the end, which, of course, we won't spoil. Yeah, I, I must admit that I was going to get on to that. I think that's terrific. I mean, folks, please make sure that I know it's long, but if you're going to go along and see it, stay on until the final credits because there is a delightful twist, isn't there? There is. I, I Look, I like the film very much. I think the story was pretty strong. And, yes, I'm not a great fan of the Marvel films overall, but uh, this one worked pretty well for me. Greg, you had said to me as well that you've tired a little bit of the, the, the whole, you know, there's another one coming along, there's another one coming along. Does this break that cycle of negativity for you or not? No, no not really. I'm over these Marvel superheroes, the same old, same old, a lot of bash crank destruction, the special effects are great there, but I feel like 
following this and Black Adam, I'm being bludgeoned into submission. Um, I also agree that the film seems a little bit long with too many subplots going on. That one involving Martin Freeman's CIA agent and mm-hmm. Louise Dreyfus, I thought added nothing to the film. But it's good to see another film um, with strong female characters driving the action. This, The Woman King, The 365, all those films. Um, sort of setting the bar for strong female characters now, but I just thought um, the special effects, yeah, overwhelmed the film a little bit there, and it's not hard to compare the underwater sea people with um, the creatures created by James Cameron in the upcoming Avatar Way of the Water a little bit. I think there's some sort of little bit of um, similarity there as well, but, look, I'm a little bit over this one. Um, I felt like it overwhelmed me eventually in the end, and as I said, I just got a little bit bored with some of the subplots there that went nowhere. Mm, and, and talking about all of James Cameron, I mean, Jackie, you you had a very special night during the week. Did you not tell us briefly about that? Oh, Disney put on an event at the Loom, uh, putting the um, Monet projection event into uh, limbo for one night um, to launch the, um, the you know Avatar sequel coming up on December 15, it opens. Uh, we didn't see the film, uh, but we did see um, uh, visuals, projections of the colours and the styling of it all around the loom. And if anybody saw the Van Gogh exhibition or has have seen the current um, Monet one, they'll have an idea of what it was like. Uh, just fabulous. They had an orchestra and a choir, and it really was just to drum up some enthusiasm for this Major, we we really can, I think, call this a major motion event, picture event coming up because I think anybody, most people who saw Avatar, responded favourably to it. It was a big one, and um, the sequel would do well. Oh, that's that's terrific! I, n- none of the others of you did, went to that, did you? Anybody else? No, no. no. Okay. What I was going to say, did you hear during the week? It's two two billion dollars the cost of making the sequel to Avatar. I mean, that that's just remarkable. I mean, I mean, gee whiz, they they better get a, a, a lot. Do you think they'll make money is my question out of out of Avatar 2? We haven't seen it, so we can't even judge it. But, gee, it's a putting putting a lot on the line. It's just pocket, pocket money for Disney. Well, but. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to put on, it on the line for anything, it would be for this, though. Because... Well, I would have thought so. But I, can you think of another movie that's cost any $2 billion? What's the most expensive movie ever made? The, obviously, this one, presumably. Uh, well, yeah. What 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 Can't comes close? That. What comes close? I don't well, know. I think Waterworld went pretty close with inflation, but of course, remember that was a flop. So it only just it only just made its money back a few years ago. Yeah. Well, look. Good luck. I hope it sort of goes particularly well. All right, folks. We're on J eighty eight FM. Let us take. We're talking about diving into things. Why don't we dive into a bit of food and? This is kind of like food porn in a sense because it's a foodie horror film called The Menu, and it's 107 minutes in duration. Oh, by the way, I don't think we... <laughs> I'm about to choke to death here. Pardon me for one sec. Just taking a drink of water. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't think we got a score, did we? For no. For, so my my fault. Let's go backwards and let's get a score from it. You know, let's start with yes. you, Peter. Uh, look, I, I like the film. I actually like the subplot uh, with uh, Martin Freeman and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. So, anyway, seven out of ten for me. Okay. Greg King. Uh, look, I'll give it six and a half to seven. But, yeah, as I said, I had reservations. Okay. No worries. And Dave Griffiths. I'm giving it a seven out of ten as well. And I'm giving it a seven out of ten. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and, Jackie, you, you're not intending to see it, are you, now? Right. No, thank you. I'm a bit like the first thing Greg said. I'm just kind of over it now, really over it. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, that well, style I mean, of film, yes. There, I, there's so, so much sameness about it all, really. How to, it's just yeah, rehashing the same I, thing yeah, with, I, I you know, you. slightly skewing it. And so how do no, we, how I do want we, innovation and well, that's novelty. what I was going to say. How do we how do we insist on innovation and diversity and getting everything right and and moving by not going. Along? Well, I think that there are lots not, of... that's not going to happen. No, it's not. I mean, yeah. Anyway, let's get let's get back on to the menu is something different. Yeah, that's what I was going to get onto for some. <laughs> my my computer's doing all sorts of funny things at the present time, so I apologise for that. Um, you can't see it, but it is. So, okay. Earlier this year, there was a foodie horror film called Fresh, 
and that struck a chord. If you recall, Dave, you and I talked about that, correct? Yeah, we did. And um, look, the menu is destined to do the same. The contention is as follows. A maximum of 12 people are invited to dine at an exclusive remote island restaurant. Looks very nice. It's called Hawthorne. And I, I don't know whether any of you know what the name Hawthorne means, but it, it shares its name with a beautiful flower that releases foul-smelling odour. Now, I wonder whether anybody has known that before and whether one can relate that to a football club. Not that I'm saying that about Hawthorne at all, but there you go. This is a restaurant. The cost to dine is, and I'm, again, taking a drink of water. Mm. The cost to dine is $1,250 US a head. What's the most that any of you have ever paid for a single meal? Jackie, you're a foodie. Oh, off the top of my head, Alex? Yeah, I can't, I can't think. Right. Okay, Dave? Um, I went to a $300 a head dinner auction oh once. Oh, yep. Wow. Was it worth it? Um, yeah, it was, but that was because I bought um, film memorabilia, but yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Um, okay, so the chef is a guy called Julian Slowick, played by Ray Fiennes, and He's got a large staff. He's a perfectionist who carefully selects the tasting menu, respecting the natural environment that's around him because they're surrounded by ocean. And among those invited on this occasion are a food critic called Lillian Bloom, Janet McTeer plays her, and her magazine editor, Ted, Paul Adelstein. There's a middle-aged actor, John Leguizamo, or Leguizamo, his assistant... (coughs) Hmm... Sorry, folks, I've developed a bit of a cough here and uh, it's not going away very simply, so I apologise. So you've got the assistant Felicity, played by Amy Carrero. Three wealthy IT businessmen, Bryce, Soren and Dave. They're also part of the select group of 12. And the guest list includes an affluent older couple, Anne and Richard, played by Judith Light and Reed Burney. These are regulars. Now, the, the two of them. And rounding out the list are Tyler, played by Nicholas Holt, who's an admirer of the chef that I spoke about, Julian, played by Ray Fiennes, and his date, Margot, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Is it just me, folks, before we get going into a bit more detail, Anya Taylor-Joy is one of the most striking, unusual-looking actresses that I know. I, I, I mean, I can't take my eyes off her when she's on the on the screen. I don't know whether it's just her look or whether it's the makeup or whether it's both. Uh, what do you think, Dave? Yeah, she's got an interesting look, but I I, I judge more on her acting performances. Than oh, yeah, no, I do, I, but I'm just saying that she's a it, she really comes across it. it, it uh, she's very very slender. The the way the makeup is applied in this particular role, it really struck struck me as being. I, I they went out of their way to accentuate that. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about the uh, and and that I I mean I thought it was a terrific performance, but uh, anybody else that. Anya Taylor-Joy stands out for amongst the, our collective here? I thought no? she was terrific. But so in everything, um, you know, the performance and the yeah, – fantastic. And yeah, she, was, mean, she was probably the most striking character in the film. Oh, um, in fact, she was. Yeah. Undoubtedly. I mean, okay, so all of these people are ferried by boat to uh, the restaurant. And when they first arrive, the chef's front-of-house supervisor is called Elsa, played by Hong Chow. She checks them in. And she discovers at the last minute, Tyler has, <coughs> oh, no, oh, golly. Mm. Tyler has switched the partner who he'd initially booked in for Margot. Margot is the Anya Taylor-Joy character. Now, on their way to the restaurant, Elsa shows the guests around the facility, explaining that the restaurant is self-sufficient. And it's soon clear just how unusual and special that's not that night's menu is going to be. It'll, it'll be a dinner like any, unlike any other. And also at the restaurant is the chef's mother, while the dynamic among the guests is also, dare I say, fleshed out. The actor talks himself up. His assistant isn't buying what he's selling. The food writer's being, let's say, stroked by her editor. The food connoisseur's guest seems to know the ageing regular male patron. So there's interrelationships that are going on. And the three businessmen have a sense of entitlement. So what we've got here, the chef's word is deed. And with a hand clap, he not only attracts the attention of the guests, but he marks each course. So, okay, that's the next course. Suffice to say, the menu is rather intriguing fare. 
all is not right. And we, the audience, we're like flies on the wall in the game that is being played. It's been written by Seth Reese and Will Tracy, and the idea emerged from an experience that the latter had when visiting Bergen in Norway. He took a boat to a fancy restaurant on a nearby small private island. So the, the bizarre nature of the story is really intriguing. I, I really thought that Anya Taylor-Joy made this fantastic performance. Margot is not impressed by the pretentiousness of the whole exercise, nor by the food itself. And her striking look, I mentioned before, is an immediate draw card. She becomes integral to the story that unfolds. Thought Ray Fiennes was, was lived up to his big name reputation, measured showing as the man pushed beyond his limits. You could call it a descent into madness, could you not, Greg King? You could. It's an interesting film, a bit, bit of a black comedy at times there. And sort of <laughs> as it goes on, it becomes more and more disturbing and unsettling as it goes on there. I thought Ray Fiennes was really terrific as the um, malevolent chef there. Um, he's sort of got a cruel streak to him and um, delighted in playing, um, treating these people as victims there. I thought Nicholas Holt did a good job too as a fanboy there. Anya Taylor-Joy was good there as well. And John Leguizamo as the um, faded actor also stood out for me as well. Um, interesting film. Um, it makes the most of its limited um, interiors there to unsettle the audience. Um, but that's enough to put you off going to a, um, an exclusive restaurant for a while. Well, especially if it's on an island somewhere. I mean, Peter Kraus, I, I thought also the performance was a very good. Hong Chow makes a mark with, with the cut through she brings to the role as the leader of the chef's crew as well, too. She certainly does. Yes, this is one of those films where it's better to know as little in advance as possible because the plot twists are very clever. And for me, it reminded me a fair bit in terms of metaphor of the Holocaust. But I won't pursue that any further. When people see mm -hmm. the film, they might mm -hmm. understand that. Uh, it is a, a really well-plotted and well-crafted film uh, and very well-acted. And, uh, yes, I really liked it. Mm. Jackie, did you – I mean, this is a very different film. Different, um, unusual, noise. Um, it's um, psycho. It's bizarre. <laughs> and it gets more and more and more bizarre. Um, and I'm not talking about the food on the plate. Um, it's, it, I mean, the chef uh, that Ray Fiennes plays actually is psychotic. I mean, he obviously has deep issues with um, seeking approval and not getting that approval. And there's one person in the room who um, obviously um, in, was in on that right from the start, being his mother. Um, and it's it's about obsession too, obsession to the point of mental illness. Um, Did you like the nice touch though, Jackie, that, that lists the ingredients of each course as the meal evolves and the tension mounts accordingly? I thought that was terrific. Well, yes. Uh, it, yeah. In fact, that part of it was so good, Alex, that I would have liked actually more of that. Um, really? Okay. And a bit less of the... Um, well, without spoiling it, no, I don't. Know, don't what happens in the second half, shall we say? Um, I could say that having just seen it last night, I'm still digesting it. But uh, thank I you. Well, I was, I, I was going to say, no. Well, I was going to call it a biting satire. Uh, biting today. satire. It's yeah. actually quite a dystopian um, yeah. setting, too, isn't it? It's like, and from that, you could take it on to being having a relationship with the Hunger Games. But Correct. Yeah, but it's far far more sophisticated than The Hunger Games. Of course, I was making another pun on The Hunger, but never mind. You no, missed that sorry. no, I missed that. I did. Oh, Thank dear. Yeah. It's hard it's work. Slow. Yeah, I know. It's, you, you, you're dealing with amateurs. What can <laughs> I say? Uh, Dave, did you did you enjoy it? Did you get something out of the menu? I did. I don't think I loved it as much as other people, though. For me, oh, there was really? one, For me, there was one bit lacking from this film. I wanted to see more about how Chef Slowick became what he is, where, where he's at that point, and I won't, again, I won't go into spoilers, but where he's got, to, how he's got to this point where he wants to do what he's doing on this night. I think Ralph Fiennes is absolutely fantastic in the role. I just wish the screenplay had given us a little more um, of how he got that way. I mean, if you go back and look at films like um, Silence of the Lambs when you've got a psycho like Hannibal Lecter, 
you always get a good insight into how that character has got to that point. And I really wanted to see that um, with the Ralph Fiennes character in this film. Backstory. A backstory. Let's have a film. There there was the backstory came into the room that Margot um, found elements in there. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to see more. So that was some of it. Yeah. Maybe that could be the prequel, um, Dave. That's yeah, what I'm saying. But, yeah, but look, there was other parts of the film I absolutely loved. I loved John Leguizamo's character. I loved the character of Tyler, which is Nicholas Holt's character, because we all know a foodie who is like that, that you wish would have something bad happen to them. I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but I'm sure people know what I mean. Um, you yeah. But, yeah, like I did. I sided with the with the victims, so to speak, But and I found the the chef's character really, really interesting. I just wanted to know more about how he got to that point. So, directed by Mark Mylod, very good in terms of the way that he's done that. There is an aftertaste, let me tell you that. You do think about it afterwards, that's a really good thing uh, because you don't, with every movie, you sort of walk out and you think, okay, on to the next one. But uh, this has got something special to it. It's called The Menu. It runs for 107 minutes. It's MA rated and a score out of 10 starting with Peter Krause. A uh, clever film, well plotted, uh, and quite disturbing by the end. Uh, eight out of ten. I, I was going to say, I was gonna, going to give you, you you're, you're signalling your punches. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> um, Greg King. Yeah, um, look, seven, seven and a half for me. Yep. Yeah, all right. Jackie? Uh, the menu. Um, I'll say that I have my reservations. Oh, um, do you? Look, well, I'm a little bit concerned about... <laughs> a little bit concerned about who really is the market for this because I think a lot of people who would love the idea of the film of the first half of the film mm-hmm. would struggle with the second half. So I'm giving it seven out of ten for the menu. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, when you say you you, guess today, Jackie. Yeah, thank you very much, Greg. Uh she, I, I we should say you do the dad jokes on your own show, correct? Yep. Thank you. Uh, so Jackie, without spoiling anything, can you elaborate on why you thought the second half went downhill i went with two uh lady friends last night two Mm -hmm. uh, of my friends from my gym Mm -hmm. and they were pretty horrified by it and yet they were seeing the the the, um the cast i think especially being led by ray fines um and seeing the look of it it Mm -hmm. looked intriguing it was about fine dining it was about odd characters it was but there's an element of it that is not at all visually enjoyable and, in fact, takes over the film. So the fact that we're avoiding talking about that as a spoiler um, is, is is difficult for people who might choose whether or not to see it because I would be warning them to actually see a bit of the trailers or get wow. an idea wow. of it uh, to make up the mind because once you get into the second half of the film, there's no turning back. Well, seven and a half out of ten for me and Dave Griffiths. Yeah, I'm giving it 7 out of 10 as well. It was a good entree to the films that we're seeing now at Monster Fest, but it wasn't a main course for me. Uh, very good. And we are going to talking about movies that are a little bit different, Bones and all. Is there a theme or what? MA rated 131 minutes. Now, would I recommend a movie about cannibals? Have you seen this one, Jackie? Yes, I have. Well, my answer to that is yes, when it's as well-crafted as Bones and all. It's a dramatic horror romance with a road trip thrown in for good measure. What else could they throw in there? I mean, it really is quite extraordinary. It concerns an 18-year-old woman named... Mm-hmm. I'm just taking another drink of water. Speak among yourselves for a moment. <coughs> Once you develop a cough, it's difficult to get rid of, and uh, it's also very in- intimidating for people listening, so I apologise once more. Uh, and Peter, did you see Bones and All and Greg? Yes, yeah. yes, I've seen it. Good. Now, sorry, I'm back to yeah, it. Thank, have, you, yep. thank you, Jackie, for rescuing me from a few seconds of torment. Um, 18-year-old woman named Marin, played by Taylor Russell, very, very good, left to fend for herself due to her predisposition. Till that point, she was brought up by her father, played by Andre Holland, as her mum was never really in the picture. Marin and her dad constantly moved from state to state in the United States, and he made sure her door was locked at night. Reason? 
from a young age and without understanding why she'd acquired a taste for human flesh and blood. So in short, she ate people. And when her dad departs, he leaves her birth certificate and a cassette tape explaining what had gone down to that point in her life. And so it is that Marin sets about trying to find her mum, whose name and location back when Marin was born are on Marin's birth certificate. At a first bus stop, Marin's picked up by a fellow, and inverted commas, eater, named Sully, played by Mark Rylance. What a creepy role, boy, oh boy, who's latched onto her scent. And although knowledgeable about their condition, Sully creeps her out. And so Marin makes a hasty departure. And then she meets another cannibal called Lee, played by Timothy Chalamet. And he too has a troubled past. Pear has real chemistry. Bones and all, quite a picture to save my voice a little bit. Jackie, you kick it off. Did you like it? Uh, not at all. Well, not much. Well, I didn't. I, I liked everything about it except the cannibalism aspect, and that's a pretty important aspect of it. So it's difficult to like it. Um, everything about the romance story and that. I, the, again, it's beautifully shot, and it just looks really nice, and the acting's great, and it's everything's lovely. But when they start kind of going down hands and knees and jumping into someone's chest. Uh, you know, it kind of changes the pace and the feel. Isn't that real? Isn't film that, a bit. Isn't it love for what they're doing, Jackie? What? Oh, it's just, I just don't want to see it. You know, no. it's just gross. I mean, why would I want to go into a film and see that? Honestly, why hang a beautiful film and whatever its budget was and all this talent on something like that? Honestly, I just don't need it. It's like zombies. I do not need to see another zombie film in my entire life. What is it about zombies and cannibals? Mm. You know, it's, they're it's, very it's they're really very popular. weird. They're very popular. And you're right, Mark Rylance is Sully. Actually, really good performance again. They're all good performances, but uh, very creepy, very creepy, very cleverly, um, you know, created, but very creepy. And uh, it just reached the stage where the cannibalism thing was just ridiculous because they were all smeared, ridiculously smeared in what is it, tomato sauce or whatever it is, and, uh, you know, from forehead to navel. Um, yeah. And you don't have to be that messy when you're eating, honestly. Um, oh and, uh, we're, we're, uh, you we're, know. We're, we're now having a go at the way that they actually consume. Yeah. And in the end, it gives us continuity issues because you're looking at, you know, how the stain has changed from one scene to the next or how they haven't washed their arms but they're able to, you know, Anyway, there well, you go. I mean, there, there, I just, bear in mind, this, do you? this is an acclaimed director called Luca Guadagnino, who did Call Me By Your Name, which was a brilliant film. Did you see that? No, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Yeah, sorry. I'm not a big well, fan. Are you, are you being wrong? Are you being, a, are you being obtuse and wrong again? No, no. I was the person who didn't like Call Me By Your Name. You, you, you're the only one that I've spoken to, but that's good. That's the, only, I, the only person I've spoken to who didn't like it. Sorry, you didn't. You have spoken to another person. No, no, I am the only person I have spoken to. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I'm being a bit of juice. <laughs> Peter Krause, can we put a bit of semblance of normality into this conversation? Um, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Luca. Uh, I think he's an incredible director, and I thought Call Me by Your Name was a remarkable movie. And I think this is a pretty special film as well, Bones and all. What did you think? Uh, look, I agree. He tends to choose quite diverse sorts of topics. And uh, I mean, from opera to uh, uh, to uh, teenage love to uh, uh, cannibal films and ethical eating, I suppose, would be uh, an aspect of uh, Bones and All. Um, I, I think it's a, a pretty good film overall. I would have liked a little more backstory, speaking of backstory, uh, about the development of the cannibal trend that has been happening in that society that the film creates. And I think that in itself uh, would be very interesting. I mean, if you think back to Warm Bodies, uh, which deals with uh, vampires and uh, um, in a more humane sort of way and uh, Twilight, of course, and other other films that have dealt with destruction of mankind in a particular uh, way and approach that is quite unusual, especially in these days of uh, COVID 
vid where the metaphors do abound. I, I really like Bones and All uh, overall. I think it was very well acted um, and uh, very well directed. Hmm, which is good. Um, I, you know, I, and I've got to say, it's not I, without sounding twee. It's going to be a film for selective tastes. Fair enough, but. Uh, the way that they've done it, uh, it's sort of, I mean, th- this is what zombie films, some zombie films do well too. They, 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 they bring a sense of empathy when you, the least you expect it to be there. Dave, don't you think? Yeah, look, I absolutely love this film. I thought it was a, an amazing metaphor for addiction and what it can do to someone's life. Um, if you imagine that these characters are drug addicts and not cannibals, um, it really shows how drug addiction can ruin a family. Um, and you kind of see the character of Lee played by Timothy Chalamet. He's the drug, di- uh, the drug um, taker that, that doesn't really care that he's got this addiction, whereas Marin scares her. So, look, I think it's a really, really good film. I think it's an intelligent um, screenplay. It is a film that's only going to have a limited audience and – it's going to attract a weird audience, I think, because I'm not sure a lot of horror fans are going to love this film because of how in-depth the characters are and how in-depth the screenplay is. At the same time, I can't imagine people that would normally go and see this film if it was just about addiction going to see a film where, as Jackie said, you've got people um, neck deep eating someone's chest. Um, so it's going to have a really weird audience. But, look, I really, really love this film. I think it's going to be one of my favourites of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. It, it's a coming-of-age of, of story for Marin. Yeah. And, and really, Taylor Russell brings heart and humanity to her role, which I think is terrific. And, look, Lee is undoubtedly better off having met Marin, right? I mean, that, that's how I see it. But yeah. he, he, too, has his family issues. And, and you've got Timothy Chalamet's a drifter. And it, I, what I, I'm a big fan of his, uh, Jackie. I don't know whether you share my my favourable opinion of Chalamet, but he's a young actor who's done a lot of good things. He's got a, a range of emotions in in his characterisation here, and I, I, I find him quite a compelling character. You don't? No, as I, as I said, I he I I don't just personally. It's just me. I know he's doing very well. I don't find him relatable. I just don't really get him. So I can say, yeah. yes, his performances are fine. And uh, certainly this, the um, cinematography, the way it was all set up in this was really oh. beautiful. It was to I'm look, really to pleased you mentioned that. Oh, it was just lovely. Well, yeah. I mean, they, because they were the, clo- the closeted interiors and the picturesque landscapes. So a guy, I think I think it's a guy, Arseni uh, K- K- um, He he's the cinematographer. And I thought the score was really good. I mean, re- what a varied score! You got, as I say, everything else about it was classical really to hard rock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what uh, Dave? Uh, not Dave. Sorry, Greg. Michael Stuhlbach. He, he only puts in a small appearance, but boy, does he, he hit the mark, eh? No, I tell you the truth, I can't even remember his character really. Was, oh, hang on. Well, does anybody anybody else? Do you remember what Michael Stuhlbach did? Remember they met uh, in this open field. Yes, the camp, the camping sequence. Where, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, okay. With, with David Gordon Green, who of course yeah. is the director of Halloween as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, but okay. He but made I, remember, the, I remember more the um, Mark Rylance character. I thought he was a really he was creepy, amazing, amazing, yeah, really creepy character there. But I, I like Timothy Chalamet too. I think he's done some interesting work there. He's one of the um, probably better young actors of his generation there. And he also he looks for edgy material as well. He doesn't sort of repeat himself as much. He, Go for these lesser um, budgeted films and everything. He doesn't always look for the blockbusters there. But this film reunites him with his um, Call Me By Your Name director there, and it's a romance of a very different kind there. Um, It's a cannibal romance, teen romance road movie, but it's beautifully shot with scenes of American landscapes there. Um, And also it's got a bit of a queer undertone for a couple of scenes there, especially that one set in the cornfields near the carnival there, which is a bit under... And mm. as well. I also thought that the gore was played down for a lot of the time there until the sort of bloody climax there. But I, I thought he did a good job of downplaying the gore a little bit. And this is a much more satisfying horror film than um, his remake of Suspiria. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I, I never thought I'd say this about a, a horror film, but there, there's a sensitivity in its composition and delivery. And 
that's I suppose what has a you know appeal as a this is a sort of an independent movie. This is not a blockbuster. It never was destined to be that. Let's give it a score. It's called M, it's rated MA for very good reason. It runs for two hours and eleven minutes. It's called Bones and All. Greg, what are you giving it? I'll give it eight out of ten. Yeah, I'm giving it an eight, Jackie. Uh, well, I actually, as I said at the start, liked everything about it except the cannibalism aspect and the. I found that bloody awful. There you go. Um, and I actually gave it four out of ten. I'm sorry, I didn't even pass it. Well, okay. that's a harsh thing. No, I didn't. I didn't like it. Mm. Sorry. Mm. Um, all right. Well, well, that you know, that's Jackie's opinion, and she can be wrong, and we we accept that. That's fine. No, but I, I get. Thank I mean, you. I get it, Jackie, from the point of view that it, it's subject matter that doesn't interest you, right? I mean, if that but, aspect was removed from the film and they found something else to yeah, then it wouldn't do be the same. The... It then it wouldn't be the same same film. It'd be a different film. Well, of course, it... it wouldn't be the same film. But if they find a different metaphor for addiction or all these, you know, aspects mm. to it, a different metaphor than just cannibalism, you know, I, I would have preferred that. But there you go. Next okay. time, maybe. Okay, we're we're, get, we're we're building up here, uh, Peter Peter Krause. Yes, I like the film seven out of ten. And Dave, hi, Mark here, please. Yeah, look, I'm actually going to give this a ten. I actually wish that I'd mm. written. I actually wish I'd written this film. Um, <laughs> absolutely blew me away, and um, yeah, it'll be in my top ten list at the end of the year for sure. There you go. Well, Jackie and Dave going toe to toe on a horror film. Okay, we are going on to another very good movie called Margaret, Queen of the North. Now, this was in the, uh, what was it, in the Scandinavian Film Festival. It's a two-hour running time, MA rated. One of the great Nordic mysteries, Margaret, M-A-R-G-R-E-T-E, colon, Queen of the North, inspired by a remarkable true story of a fearless female ruler. Here's another female story. 1402, when a 50-year-old achieves what no man has managed before. Centuries of bloody... <coughs> Whenever I try and speak, this happens. Mm. Centuries of bloody war and Margaret, played by Trine Triholm in a great performance, brings together Norway, Denmark and Sweden in a peaceful union. Beautiful countries that we've been a good fortune, my wife and I, to visit and great part of the world. As a woman, she's forbidden from ascending to the throne. So she governs indirectly through her adopted son, King Eric. Despite her achievement, the alliance is a precarious one, with the fledgling Nordic Union beset by enemies. So she hatches a plan to secure the territory's future and help prevent it being overrun by the Germans. Yeah, the Germans are on the scene. She brokers a marriage between Eric, the King Eric I mentioned, and English Princess Philippa, who's daughter of King Henry V. What she's not anticipating is a conspiracy within her own ranks. And that's the starting off point. Subterfuge, intrigue and betrayal are in play. Look, this is the largest and most expensive production mounted in Danish film history, and it really does show, does it not, Greg King? It does indeed. I thought the um, location looked fantastic there. The um, production design for the castle also really good there, the natural lighting there. But the intrigue is the thing that keeps you mm. hooked on it there. Something's rotten in the state of Norway there. Um, all the political intrigues, the backstabbing and the manipulations behind the scene there keep you guessing what's actually going on there. Um, is um, this pretended to own her real son or not ever? And it keeps going there, piling on mystery on mystery. And I thought um, <coughs> cleaning got it was really good as Queen Margaret there. I thought she had a strength of character there um, and dominated the scene she was in. Is this, I mean, this surely is going to be the, the nomination for Oscars next year, the, the, the country nomination, don't you think, Dave? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it has to be. Look, I, I always find these films interesting because that's where my family heritage comes from and because I didn't find out until later in life about my Scandinavian heritage. I love going back now and watching these films and, mm -hmm. and seeing a little bit about where my family came from. I found this really fascinating. It almost played out like an episode of 
Game of Thrones or a Shakespearean mm. play. I thought it was really well put together, brilliantly acted, and, um, yeah, there was so much to love about this film. Mm, I mean, it's superbly constructed. Twists are plenty. I've got a lot of credit to the writers, Peter Krauss. Yeah, I mean, they've done a great job. Yes, as always, the uh, writing is the first thing you look for, and uh, it certainly is well written. Uh, from what I've read, it seems the film does play a little bit fast and loose with the historical uh, aspects uh, of the 15th century and this uh, female ruler, um, but that doesn't matter because the film uh, itself is pretty powerful. Uh, Trine Dierholm does an excellent job uh, in this big, budget uh, Danish production um, and, and the uh, intrigue and uh, yes, the Shakespearean aspect of what's going on behind the scenes is pretty powerful stuff. Um, I, I wasn't totally convinced, I think, by the way the film resolved itself, but nevertheless, I think it's a, it's a pretty good film. Overall. Yeah, I wonder, where, I wonder whether it sort of twisted itself almost into a loop where you couldn't, <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you resolve this kind of, I, I wondered about that too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, leaving that to one side, uh, and it could, could well be the uh, the Danish nomination for uh, Best International Oscar, but I think there are other countries that have got films that are more likely to win. No, oh, fair enough. Uh, did you like it? Uh, who, who haven't we spoken to about this? Jackie? Oh, I haven't seen it, Alex. Oh, you haven't? And Greg, you've spoken about it, haven't you? I've yes. got it totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, All right, as well so, as tossing your guts out, you're losing your memory, Alex. I'm losing my memory, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's part of my... Yeah, there, there's so many here. There's so many champion film people with me today that I'm losing, losing it a little bit. But look, The Wild losing Country... Losing your religion. Exactly. <laughs> well, The Wild Country, it, it serves as another character in the film, though, as far as I'm concerned. The, the quality of the cinematography, we haven't spoken about that. Wow. I mean... Rasmus Viterbeck is his name. Look, a handful of actors bring credibility and clout to their respective characterizations, and they really do. I mean, uh, it is Trin's film, though. <coughs> she does a great job, and the tension is ratcheted up by the composer. I mean, the, the compelling score in this one as well. So I reckon it's well worth seeing. It's called Margaret, M-A-R-G-R-E-T, Queen of the North. Let's get scores, please, folks. Let's start with you, Greg. I'm going to give it seven to seven and a half out of ten. I'm just thinking what what it would have cost to make a film of this scope and scale um, in Hollywood there would have been probably ten times the budget. Yeah, I think that they'll have a little bit more money in Hollywood, but, um, yeah. you know. And, and it looks fantastic for what, what they spent on it, but, yeah, you can see that everything is on the screen, though. Correct, yeah. So, okay, let's go to Peter Krause. Yes, uh, good film, Margarita, uh, as it's pronounced, uh, seven out of ten from me. Seven out of ten, okay. And Dave Griffiths. Yeah, look, I'm giving it a seven out of ten as well. A really, really good historical um, epic, and yeah, well acted and well written. Fantastic. My pronunciation is appalling, but I give Margaret a seven and a half out of ten. So we're in we're in similar territory. Now I've got to say again, thank you very much for being with us, and I, I I'm sorry that I've been. Uh, uh, less than ideal in terms of my vocal proclivity today. Uh, hopefully the cough goes away in the next seven days. It's been a pleasure having you all on board and allowing me to indulge in my passion for film and sport. Greg King, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Alex. And Jacqueline Hamilton, a pleasure to have you with me. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here. And Peter Krause, the one and only. Thanks very much, Alex. And she said is also worth seeing. In yeah, we'll talk about moment. that next. We'll talk about that next week. I promise. Um, and uh, Dave Griffiths, thanks for keeping us all sane. Appreciate it, mate. Definitely. And if you're in Pakenham, head along to the Drive-In Theatre next Saturday night to raise money for the Blessed Collective. Let's do that one more time. Where is it? Um, in Pakenham at the Pakenham Soccer Oval, where Pakenham United plays. It's raising money for the Blessed Collective, and we're showing. Back to the Future as a drive-in theatre night. Which day and what time? Saturday the 3rd, and if you start rocking up from about 7 o'clock, there'll be family activities there from then onwards. Terrific, Dave. Thanks, folks. We'll catch you next week. Have a good week. Be kind to one another and don't cough on one another. Speak to you then. First on Film and Entertainment, signing off. Hold up. 